Good afternoon, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to call and be part of the program, you can also send a message through the KPL app chat if you want to be part of the conversation through there. Lots of news to wrap up the week, so let's jump right into it. Of course, the big news of the day for Louisiana. Senator Bill Cassidy released a statement this morning saying that he was not going to be running for governor. And I don't. I think this probably came as a shock to maybe five, six people in the state, and they are all reporters for various left-of-center outlets. Uh, Bill Cassidy never had any interest in running for the governor, but he had to keep the— he had to keep his his stature in Louisiana going by saying that he was considering it. You know, everybody considers it in Louisiana. The problem is Bill Cassidy probably can't get elected statewide in Louisiana, especially against a competitive Republican field. Um, you know, it was it, it started back with. Uh, just after his reelection, of course, there was the January 6th stuff and all that, and he voted to impeach Donald Trump. And this came uh, not too long after he voted that it was unconstitutional to impeach a president after they left office or, or whatever the vote was. Uh, so I mean, he was on the record as being against the impeachment, also on the record uh, you know, for the impeachment. And this came after an election cycle in which he had run as a Trump guy. And that really turned off a lot of Louisiana voters. That really soured a lot of them uh, on Bill Cassidy. The other problem is the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And he took a lot of heat because he couldn't even tell you what was in it. You know, uh, 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 Keel in Shreveport had that lengthy interview with Cassidy and they asked him about some of the things that were in the bill and he said no those aren't that that's not in there and they're like well yes it is here's the text and it caught him completely off guard he was he he didn't understand what was in the bipartisan infrastructure bill that he was supporting and it really turned out to be a, a bill that did not actually give a whole lot in terms of infrastructure money it went to a lot of other things unrelated to the infrastructure needs of Louisiana and the United States so we're still seeing that Cassidy wants to be relevant in Louisiana politics at least a little while longer. Uh, but he did come out and he, you know, said that he's he's got a prime position on the health, education, labor, and pensions uh committee on the Senate. Uh, in the Senate, and that's where he wants to focus. He wants to focus on being a senator rather than running for governor. So that that opens up the field a little bit because a lot of candidates may have been nervous about the potentially two senators uh, who are jumping in. John Kennedy still has not said whether or not he is going to run. He said he is looking into it. But with Cassidy out of the way, I think more people, most people didn't expect him to run, but now that he's officially said he's not, there's no room for surprises. Cassidy, uh, you know, Cassidy originally said when he ran for Senate, it was just for two terms. And he just won election back in 2020, to his second term. He is voting and he's acting like a guy who is going to keep that promise to not run for re-election in 2026. And I get the feeling, based on the way he's talking, the way he kind of positioned himself to maybe be in this race, that he 
was considering leaving early if a better job offer came along. Part of me says he thought originally he might have a chance because he's kind of out of touch with the rest of the state. But there was a poll that I think he commissioned a while back that had him uh, pretty pretty far down on the list of, of candidates. Uh, the most recent one that was dropped by uh, John Kennedy had Cassidy a ways down on the list. And I think talking to his donors and his supporters, he was pretty much reassured, no, you don't have a shot. I don't even know why you're talking about it. So that kind of maybe confirmed it in his mind, but I don't think he was ever really taking it seriously uh, You know, after that first bit of polling data came out. But what makes this whole thing interesting is that the field is it's pretty open despite the fact that the state party has made their endorsement. And I, I still, that one still bothers me a little bit. I think it was way too early for that kind of a, of a maneuver. But at the same time, like I said, when it happened, it makes sense that they would do it. You know, the, the Louisiana state Republican party has watched for the last two election cycles as their own candidates have torn each other apart. And the person who was kind of best positioned to take on the Democrats in 2015 and 2019 was dragged down by members of his own party, ambitious people who really didn't stand the chance that those, those main guys did. I mean, whether or not you think David Bitter was the right guy for the job or just morally the right guy, given the skeletons in his closet, the fact of the matter is he was the one who was in the best position to beat John Bell Edwards. I mean, he was already elected statewide. He, he, he had support among Republicans. It is still a very center-right state, but he was already being dragged down. There was no real unity amongst the party itself, and they were able to beat him up based on the past sins and everything like that. And, and my, my theory is that he wasn't the right candidate for the moment, but he was the best candidate in that race. And he just got taken out by the, the sins of the past and a lack of unity in his own party. So then we move forward to 2019, and John Kennedy waits until really late in the cycle to basically say, nah, I'm not running, because everybody was expecting him to. John Kennedy's own people reportedly were out there telling other candidates, hey, you should sit out this one because Kennedy's going to jump in. He's definitely going to jump in here. And then he didn't. And I actually remember... Uh, I remember at that point putting on social media somewhere John Kennedy's effectively uh, uh, reelected John Bell Edwards or something like that. And I got attacked for that by by friends, some commentators and, and pundits and, and folks like that. But it turned out to be right. John Kennedy, by waiting until that field was cleared, left us with really only two Republican candidates to take on John Bell Edwards. And one was a pretty well-loved Ralph Abraham, and the other was a big-money Republican guy who threw a bunch of money into the race to attack Ralph Abraham and not save his ammo for John Bell Edwards. And, of course, Edwards was able to prey on that and, and, and win that reelection. And the, the folks of, of Abraham's district largely stayed home because their guy was attacked by the dude who got nominated. But the state GOP had an opportunity to show unity when they got Donald Trump into the state back in 2019. Trump was on the stage with both men. All you needed to do was have them hands together, hands held in the air, saying, we're going to beat John Bell Edwards. And you couldn't do that. There was so much bitterness in that race from how Eddie Rispone treated Ralph Abraham. 
And so the Republican Party once again saw a lack of unity absolutely destroy its chances in 2019. So that brings us to now. What's happening now? Well, they're kind of going extreme the other way. We're going to, the party itself is going to unify behind one guy before every other candidate that we know is going to try to jump in has jumped into the race. And so as a result, they have probably encouraged a lot of those candidates to jump in even harder because now they're all claiming backroom deals and secret meetings and, and uh, you know, and, and this, it's all nonsense because this is how politics is done anyway. You can sit there and shout about backroom deals all you want, but backroom deals are how politics are done. It's, it all depends on whether or not the backroom deals benefit you or not. Should the state party have waited? Probably. Is it some big, massive, uh, anti-democratic scandal? No, it's not. It's the party saying, look, this guy is the one that has a statewide network. He is the second most popular Republican in the state. We don't think the most popular Republican in the state is going to run. And of course, Kennedy says, well, I might. But the party made the decision it thought was best. So now, once again, because the party can't really seem to get itself together the right way, now you're looking at a 2023 where there are Republicans running in spite of the party, not trying to get the party's endorsement, but trying to say, I don't need you, which is always a fantastic uh, way to run an election. Ask Mitt Romney, who told that to conservatives. Ask Carrie Lake, who told that to John McCain Republicans. Anytime a Republican tells a group, I don't need you, they don't win. But all that will do is further, uh, further divide the Republican Party. So you'll get Dr. Sean Wilson or some other Democrat who, who is leading the way on the Democratic side of that race. You'll get them across the finish line, at least into uh, a runoff, if not winning the primary, because everybody else is super divided. I mean, it's going to come down to one Republican versus one Democrat, but just how bloody is the battle going to be to get there? That's the problem. But hey, at least Bill Cassidy's not running. And as Moon likes to say, we're going to have a slate of a bunch of people that are probably going to say, I'm not running, because that's how Louisiana works. You do have to announce that you're not running for governor. I refuse to say whether I'm running for governor or not. You're going to have to find that out later. 232-1542, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, a little bit more on the state stuff. Then, of course, we'll look at the big national stories of the day right here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL, 232-1542. If you want to be part of the conversation, you can also send a message to the KPL app chat. Let's go to the phone lines. We've got Philip. Philip, first of all, are you running for governor in 2023? I was going to give you an exclusive. I am not running for governor. Even though I think I get more votes than Bill Cassidy because I got more kin folks in Acadiana and North Louisiana, all his kin folks are in Illinois, so <laughs> I know I could, I could, I could beat him. But anyway, well, I I appreciate my thunder with your announcement. Well, no, I, I I appreciate you giving the exclusive to us, and I think that's just got to be yeah. that that's got to be the question for every caller that calls in now before anybody says anything. I'd, I can I can go on some tirade about something completely unrelated. Somebody calls in, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask, are you running for governor? you running for governor. Right, right. Now, I'm still taking donations, though, because I need to upgrade my wardrobe. <laughs> well, if you so, send us a campaign yeah. link, I'll be sure to post that somewhere so that we can make sure that those donations come in. 
Philip, thank you very much for the call. Thank you. Have All a good day. Right. All right, Bye. you too. 232-1542. Yeah, if you call in, I may just ask if you're running for governor because that's kind of where we are now. But this is, I think, the uh, the, the state of Louisiana politics being this way. Uh, most states, this, this kind of goes to the argument as to why we need the closed primaries because – when you have the open primary, everybody's just out there saying whether or not they are or whether they are or not going to to run. And as a result, the field doesn't get narrowed down quickly enough. And that I think that hurts Louisiana in the long run. Switching to the way basically every other state does it to have a primary early on, let's say the summer before, and then to have months where it's just two candidates running against each other, I think is a lot better for Louisiana in the long run because right now, we have everybody and their brother, and maybe sister. I don't want to be gender exclusive here. But everybody is basically having to come out and say whether or not they're going to run. Because right now you've got the Advocate, you've got the Gannett Papers, you've got uh, every news outlet in the state basically saying, well, this person you know, mentioned to their brother-in-law that they thought governor would be a fun job, so they're probably running. And this person said, I absolutely hate every governor that we've ever had, so they're probably running to make a change in the state. And it, It's just, it's nonsense. It, it's, it's kooky. It's nonsensical. We need to stop. We need to do better. And I think one of the ways is just whittle down the, the field earlier. How many people would decide not to run, and we wouldn't need these announcements, if they knew that they were going to be out of the running well before Election Day itself? That would be a huge benefit. I mean, the Democrats benefit from it because the Republican votes constantly split. Uh, Republicans, some certain Republicans benefit from it because the conservatives can split the vote and it gives them more of a chance to come in. Or in the case of Jay Darden, they can run and say, well, hey, my vote, my support's up for sale to whoever wants to give it. And you will you have this, ultimately, this this pretty poor system that we have right now. And that's that's something that Louisiana has to has to deal with, but both parties have powerful people in charge who have no qualms leaving the system the way it is because it benefits everybody but the citizens of Louisiana. Anyway, if you're just joining us, again, the news of the day for the state of Louisiana, Bill Cassidy's not running. So that leaves the field open. Who is running? Jeff Landry is confirmed to run. He's got the endorsement of Ralph Abraham, Eddie Rispone, and the Louisiana GOP. Billy Nungesser still hasn't decided whether or not he's going to run. It's time to poop or get off the pot, Billy. Uh, Sharon Hewitt, state senator, has not decided whether or not she's going to run. John Schroeder, everybody expected him to. He's been kind of silent on it as of late, although he, like the others, got mad at the Louisiana State GOP uh, an endorsement of Jeff Landry. Uh, on the Democratic side, Dr. Sean Wilson is that name that keeps popping up, but I don't, I don't see how Gary Chambers doesn't get involved in some way. I don't see how some of these Democratic mayors don't get involved in some way. Sharon Weston Broom, uh, God forbid LaToya decides that she wants to be a governor because New York's becoming too much of a of a high-pressure uh, environment for her because they keep investigating her. I mean, you have all these potential Democrats. I thought that maybe Cedric Richmond might want to jump in, given that he left the Biden administration, can come back to Louisiana, but have that national Democratic support. I don't know. And it would be great if we had primaries that would whittle this down way earlier.
All right, 232-1542. We will be back in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show. Your calls and our national news coming up when we get back right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Hi, welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Um, some breaking news here. Uh, let me find the advocate to confirm this, but... Uh, it looks like we've got another state official over the juvenile system that is resigning today. Um, let's see, this alert just went out. I'm not seeing, I just saw, it just popped up on, uh, just popped up on the Advocates app, but of course it did not take me straight to the story, so I have no idea. Uh, let me try to find it. This is ridiculous. Uh Get a better app advocate. Anyway, uh, so it looks like the head of juvenile, uh, I'm going to find it in just a sec. Let me get back to that. In the meantime, let me go back to what I was going with. uh, And that is uh, the the special counsel. I'm sorry, here we go. Head of, St- Head of Louisiana's Office of Juvenile Justice resigns amid crisis in state youth jail. So more crisis there. Um, you know, we had the head of children, uh, children's services that uh, resigned last week. And now we've got the, uh, the head of the Office of Juvenile Justice uh, resigned amid a deepening crisis inside the state's youth lockups that has included escapes, riots, and a capacity shortfall that the agency recently said had forced it to stop accepting youth into its custody. OJJ Deputy Secretary William Summers served atop the agency since 2020 and submitted his resignation to John Bill Edwards on Friday. Edwards said in a statement, Summers will be succeeded by current OJJ Assistant Secretary Otha Curtis Nelson Jr., who has taken a leading role in the state's controversial plan to transition some high-risk youth to a new lockup at the state penitentiary in Angola. So, really, you know, we see it across the country, but really in Louisiana, we, we, don't, we don't take care of our kids the way we should. Um, and we have, amid, uh, amid more crime, Amid struggles, mental health and otherwise, amongst our youth, uh, amid all sorts of issues that are on the rise, we can't even take care of kids. I mean, we had uh, we had uh, children's services that were aware of two kids in trouble. Both of them died before the agency responded. We have problems in our juvenile justice system that is leading to the resignation of the folks in charge there. At some point, we have to, as a society, start caring about kids again. And I don't, and and a lot of people pay lip service to the idea. But again, a deepening crisis inside the state's youth lockups that has included escapes, riots, and a capacity shortfall that the agency recently said had forced it to stop accepting youth into its custody. We use the phrase 
all the time, slipping through the cracks. There are just kids that slip through the cracks because the system does not respond the way it should. Part of it is financial. Part of these systems are just underfunded. But part of it is just laziness and unwillingness to do the work that's necessary. And our politicians are equally to blame because these problems are not new, they are not sudden, but politicians routinely overlook them in exchange for their own pet projects that completely bypass any actual need in their own districts, in their own uh, represented areas. There is somebody that I used to teach, now, now legally an adult, but has been arrested for a very serious crime. And that, that news came out, and that, that really, really kind of hit me hard because those of you who have been in the teaching profession long enough, you know there are some kids that you did everything you could and they still fell through the cracks because you're just one person in that kid's life and you don't have all the tools that are necessary to, to help that. And when that happens, when you see a headline, when you see an arrest report, when you see it trending on social media, that somebody that you knew, somebody that you taught as a teacher, you see that person, that person who's still in your eyes, a kid has been arrested for some serious crime or, or is involved or was killed in a shooting or anything like that, that eats away at you. And this particular one is eating away at me. But it, unfortunately, incidents like that are not unforeseen. These are things that you can actually predict based on certain measures. What's going on in the child's home life, that kid's behaviors, whether or not that kid is showing any sign that they want to improve. All you know, a kid that gets in trouble all the time and, and never has any discipline at home, or is just neglected at home, or a kid that doesn't have a home, anything like that. A kid that is not being held to account by the responsible adults in their lives, whether it's parents, whether it's the people at schools, what or law enforcement, whatever, the people in their lives, they don't give the kid a second look. And sometimes it's just the kid flat out doesn't want to get the help. And you watch as kids fall through the cracks. They slip through the cracks. The system forgets about them. And they go off and they slide further and further downhill. Our system... As much as we like to pay lip service to the idea that we care, our system does not care. Our system does not do enough. Yes, a lot of this is on the parents. When we have talk, when we talk about the discipline problem in schools, we always talk about, well, parents need to be more involved. Yes, absolutely. But it can't just be the parents. Because we, as a society, make sure that a third of our kids' lives are spent in a classroom. The adults in that situation also have a responsibility to be checking up on that kid. 
And if that kid is a known problem, then there are other layers there that are meant to help catch the kid. But more often than not, the kid slides through, slips through. And now we don't have enough bed space in our juvenile centers for the kids that are out there causing problems, the kids that are calling in multiple bomb threats to a school, kids that are committing crimes when they're not at school or because they're skipping school, kids that are getting into fights, kids that are leading more violent lives, have no respect for the authority or the rules that's there, kids who get kicked out of school because of their behavior, the kids slip through. And the system can't catch them. The system cannot handle them. And so things get worse. And now there are people trying to restructure the system saying, oh, well, we're, 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 not, we're, we're not being kind enough. We need to give the kids their space. We need to, you know, we need to be their friends. We don't need to be hard on them. And then look what happens. You have escapes, riots, fights, shootings, all these things that happen inside and outside of our juvenile justice system. And it gets out of control. Society itself is letting our kids down. And we have to do something about that. We have to move on in a way that, re- that, that makes it clear that we have our kids' best interest in heart, at heart. Too many kids are being let down by the system that we have. So now we've got the resignation of uh, the head of Louisiana's Office of Juvenile Justice. And the next guy up is the guy that proposed the plan to, uh, build a, uh, to, to go with a high-risk youth center near Angola. Now they're telling us that, that the two facilities are far enough apart from each other that there should be no mingling between the adults and the juveniles. And maybe an actual lockup for the kids at Angola might be enough and actually treating them like prisoners. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe the, the centers that we have aren't doing enough in the discipline front. I don't know. But somewhere along the way, we started letting our kids down. We started failing our kids. And this story coming out today just reminded me of the story from earlier this week about a former center of mine, a kid who called me dad because he didn't have one. A kid that I and so many other teachers worked their butts off to try to make sure that the kid got through middle school and into high school. And now here we are a handful of years later and the kid is now in prison for a very, very serious charge. And the teachers did their job, but how many other levels failed for that kid to get where they are? It deeply, deeply bothers me. All right, let's take a break. When we get back, the national news of the day, the one that just came out toward the end of the day, uh, let's talk about the special uh, the special counsel being invoked for Donald Trump. We'll have that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Uh, so a little while ago, Merrick Garland announced that he will be uh, impaling a special counsel to uh, look into possible charges against uh, former President Donald Trump uh, for the Mar-a-Lago documents thing and January 6th. (sighs) This is three special counsels in however many years. Here's the problem. Here is the issue that we've got. 
Um, Merrick Garland has to do this, by the way, because he's being pressured to come up with charges against Trump. But now Trump is a declared candidate for 2024. That puts Trump more than likely in some way against Joe Biden in 2024. If Donald Trump wins the nomination for the Republican Party, he goes up against probably Joe Biden in 2024. You just can't have that. You can't be the attorney general under that situation and let your department be investigating this yourself. So you find a retired prosecutor, bring them in, have them be the special counsel on this. Look into possible charges here. Now, here's the thing. This comes three days after, or yeah, three days after Joe Biden, I'm sorry, three, four days after Donald Trump announces that he's going to run for president. It also comes a day after the House GOP announces their big issue for the House Oversight Committee is going to be investigating Hunter and Joe Biden. So no matter how you look at this, this does look like sour grapes. This does look highly political. It also comes on the heels of yesterday. I don't remember if I got to this. I don't think I did. The Washington Post had a story that came out yesterday that said, well, right now investigators with the DOJ have pretty much decided that, yeah, Donald Trump was just keeping those documents as trophies. He wasn't planning to do anything nefarious with them. He wasn't trying to sell secrets. They don't believe that was ever the thing. But that was speculation that was leaked from the DOJ itself to the media. And then once the midterm election is over, now they leak and say, well, that's we don't actually think that's the thing. Whether or not you think there's any there's some something bad going on behind the scenes, the fact of the matter is it looks highly suspicious. It does. And if you say, well, no, it doesn't. This is just standard. No, it's not standard operating procedure. This is all unprecedented. Something looks nefarious. Something sounds nefarious. Looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. But even if you give the DOJ and the FBI the benefit of that, the best benefit of the doubt that you can, it doesn't look good. Somebody made a mistake in leaking in the first place, which is something I said from the very beginning. The leaking has to stop. The leaking to the media to to drive the narrative has to stop. But also, if you're calling on a special counsel now, just days after Donald Trump announces that he is running for president, What were you doing before he announced that he was running for president? Because this investigation has been going on for a very long time. The January 6th stuff has quite literally almost been two years. The Mar-a-Lago documents, which we just found out yesterday, weren't being, there's now no suspicion that it was, that he took the documents for anything nefarious. That issue is several months old. If you were looking into charges, why didn't you do it before Donald Trump announced? Why are you waiting till now and why are you impaneling that special counsel? It looks highly political. And there are people out there, including ones that listen to this show and and message the show all the time that say, well, this is about to happen and this is about to happen. None of that stuff's ever happened. The walls have been closing in on Donald Trump for, what, seven years now? At some point, 
you got to admit the walls aren't closing. That Donald Trump is just a guy who, like the FBI and the DOJ, looks like a duck, walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and is just not that great a guy but hasn't done anything illegal. The truth is probably somewhere in between the two. That the DOJ is corrupt and that Donald Trump is corrupt. The, the truth is probably somewhere between those two things. But nobody's willing to admit it because everybody is so laser-focused on this. Meanwhile, you have Asa Hutchinson, who is now, say, who's now going around talking to, uh, talking to donors. Asa Hutchinson, the governor of Arkansas, going around talking to people, going to Iowa, spending time there talking to people there, being very serious about a presidential run. Milk-toast Republicans like that only help Donald Trump. Which is why the media loves it when these milk toast Republicans try to run, because ostensibly they can say, oh, yes, here's a reasonable Republican. But deep down, they know those types only help Trump. Those push the conservatives more toward Trump because those establishment, those moderate type guys jump in and it drives the conservatives crazy. There are good options for the Republicans. Lee Zeldin now looks like he's going to be making a run for RNC chair. I hope he wins. Ronald McDaniel needs to go. Kevin McCarthy needs to go. Mitch McConnell needs to go. Donald Trump needs to go. We need fresh blood and fresh ideas in the Republican Party. But they cannot be these milquetoast moderate Republicans either. We, as Louisiana residents, know that. We've experienced that time and time again. Can't have it on the national scene either. All right, you guys have a fantastic weekend. I will talk to you again soon. In the meantime, Shannon is offsides up next. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Sign up for the show notes, joecunninghamshow.substack.com. Be back with you guys again soon here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.